Well, welcome to a special edition of Media Insultant. I'm Jackson Weaver, along with my co-host in Southern California, Keith Samuels. And rather than spouting our opinions and wisdom or smart aleck comments, uh, today we've invited a really well-known and respected media director who we hoped would kind of bring Keith and I up to speed on what the media landscape was like from an agency point of view. You know, we sometimes tend to think it's still 1990 and we can call on agencies the way we used to, and it's changed a lot. So we asked Melissa Durfee Davis, who recently was media director at Green Rubino, to join us this morning. Melissa, welcome to Media Insultant. I've got a lot of, you know, uh, snappy, uh, rude comments, too, so I think I'll be perfect for your show. I love it. I love it. Hey, listen, without getting too far into the weeds, (laughs) Melissa, give us a little brief outline of your background. Sure. Um, I've worked as a media buyer, planner, uh, negotiator, director in the uh, Pacific Northwest for the last 40 years, a little more than 40 years. So I uh, started my career here in Seattle, bounced around uh, Portland for about uh, 10 years and back up into Seattle. I did do, uh, when my daughter was young, I had a freelance business, which was awesome. A great way, great business for somebody who wanted to uh, work part-time and work from home. But for the last uh, 25 years or so, I've been media director first at uh, DNA here in Seattle and then most recently at Green Rubino. So um, right now I'm just doing some, some contract work and trying to figure out what's next. Well, for what it's worth, we've all loved working with you. You always treated the media with a lot of respect. You know, you never beat us up too badly, and we were always happy to go to bat for you. So it worked out really yeah. wonderfully. Yeah. Keith, you had a real interesting question to uh, start off our conversation with Melissa. Well, yes, but before I ask that, I was, I was, I was reminiscing over coffee this morning, looking forward to, to seeing Melissa again, is that I met Melissa when I started calling on Colin Weber in... March, April of 1983. Now, I don't want. I don't want to. Okay, okay, boomer. Yeah, I remember those days. But it kind of leads into our discussion today because Melissa was at Colin Weber, which was like the big, massive agency. It was the largest agency in the Pacific Northwest, and you had all of the amazing accounts. What an amazing place to start. Absolutely. I remember being at the University of Washington and there was a guy there who taught media planning and he said, if you really want to be a media planner, you're going to have to leave the Northwest. And I had a good friend that I'd known from high school and college and she did. She left and went to New York. But I got a job at Colin Weber where I worked with like Andrew Doherty, rest in peace, from New York. Um, I'd worked with, you know, somebody who'd been trained in Chicago at Leo Burnett, somebody else who'd been in the training program at another big agency. So I got to work with these great people who wanted to move to Seattle, but had this great background from the bigger agency. So, and also being that Colin Weber was owned by Ogilvy, we had a lot of resources available to us that other agencies wouldn't. So I felt like I had the best of both worlds. I got to stay in Seattle, but I also got to get that big experience. Um, and so I really, I really lucked out having my first job there. Well, it was it was a real pleasure to call on on the agency yeah. and 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 wow, you know, counts like Warehouser and Boeing oh, yeah. and just Weston I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, we had just every blue chip client there there was to have, so that was that was really the the, the heyday for them. One of the things that that Jackson and I struggle with is is helping our our viewers, listeners, and our friends, both in our on our podcast and also kind of in coaching and mentoring and just trying to help people kind of get through the day in media the you know these days but it's kind of like trying to get to the bottom of how campaigns and annual spending is budgeted these days 
I don't need to say compared to pre-consolidation back in the 80s and 90s, but kind of post-consolidation where you have a handful of groups in television, a handful of groups in radio, print has been whittled down. You know, so, so how has that budgeting process changed and how has uh, how's the viewpoint or opinion of traditional media, TV, radio, print, changed and how is it today? Well, I think, you know, because, you know, we try not to have silos with traditional and digital media, but you really can't help it on some level. One thing about digital media, though, is that, you know, you're constantly optimizing, you know, you're constantly looking at the results and seeing where you want to move money. So even within a month, sometimes you're taking money out of social and putting it in programmatic, adding it to YouTube, you know, putting a little bit more on CTV based on, oh, look, at we're getting some low CPMs here. Or we're getting some high click throughs there. Or we're getting some good ROI on this. So, it, you know, it's this weird mentality that nothing's ever done, right? You used to maybe place mm. an annual and you were done. And now nothing's done. You know, it's done until the next report comes out. It's done until the next, you know, client meeting or whatever, when you start to, you know, drill down and look at some of those numbers. So some of that has, you know, made its way to to traditional media, whereas hmm. clients don't want an annual. Maybe, you know, we did things like negotiate an annual rate, but we weren't actually laying it in until each quarter because we really didn't know perhaps, you know, what was changing. And clients just want to be able to turn on a dime right now. And that's just not... You know, you think about the old, you know, the upfronts, and that just seems so funny to me that those people in New York were just locking in, locking down all this inventory, you know, and there was hardly anything left for the scatter market and, and all. And, and that just seems really, uh, I mean, you know, we can talk about boomers and old fashioned or whatever, but it just really seems like something that's not working for clients anymore in terms of they want to have that flexibility. They want to be able to say not only that, but we're going to put more into this market, perhaps. You know, we're seeing yeah, it, we have problems in this market or we're doing great in this market. So we want to move all this money around. So it's, you know, it's just a lot, a lot more intense. Is, is it is it working better for them in the end or is it just driving everybody crazy? <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good point, because there there is a lot of, you know, buzzing around, busy work, you know, let's make sure that we're, you know, moving these things or looking at this reporting. Whereas if, do you have to look at the reporting every day or can you look at it after a week or after a month and really see a better trend or something like that? So there is a ton of that that happens that, you know, people are just spinning to spin and clients just, they, you know, the data sort of like kind of reminds me back in the day when, you know, we used to talk about, oh, you know, what's your cost per point? And, you know, it's like if all anybody cared about was cost per points then monkeys could buy media. I mean, there's there was nothing to it. But there is a fair amount of that on the digital side, right? Because you don't have much more besides that to evaluate. I mean, you could think about what kind of targeting they can do, what kind of layering they can do. And then at some point, what kind of, you know, CPA they have or ROI, but um, it just gets kind of crazy at, at some point, you know, the the spinning that happens. Let's talk about that. You you mentioned ROI. I think that's that's always fascinating because the truth is with traditional media, we really didn't have an ROI measurement. The closest we got was audience delivery, cost per point, cost per thousand, whatever that metric was that we were working with. Today, particularly with digital media, what are clients looking for in an ROI? Or are they? Well, it, it depends. But, you know, there are lots of clients that have to have a certain number of leads every month. You know, I mean, we're, we're charged with getting them certain, you know, whether or not it's, you know, butts in seats or, you know, qualified leads for their sales departments to follow up on or, you know, whatever. I mean, we 
we often will have a goal. We need X number of leads from, you know, Boise this week or whatever it is. So there are clients that are like that. And those are, you know, those are the ones where, you know, they call that performance. Those are performance accounts where you've really got to go in and your feet are held to the fire. Maybe sometimes you make more money because you're able to provide more than the last agency did or more than the last guy did. But it's not, you know, those kinds of relationships to me aren't those long-term sort of relationships where you're building and growing together and learning together. Those are just like, what have you done for me lately sort of thing. Mm. So there are a fair number of accounts out there. And, you know, you'll see them all the time. They're the ones that follow you around and, you know, they want your email or whatever that is. So, um there are, you know, accounts like that. There are others where, you know, clients just, they know that they can get this data, so they want it. You know, like, okay, what, you know, what happened after they went to the homepage and how, what was the bounce rate and how many seconds did they, you know, hover over this or that? Because there's so much data available. What they're using it for and whether or not it's really valuable is, oh, you know, a big conversation. But, um, you know, they want it because they can get it because it's available, so they want to see it. So does that create a field where, candidly, there's too much data? Yeah, and you have, you know, people on staff, you know, called marketing scientists that go in and they've got to, you know, visualize the data so people can understand it or they've got to, you know, work with a platform like Datarama or whatever that's bringing in, you know, data from a lot of different sources because it's maybe you've got one agency that does this, you've got another agency that does that. You want to bring in, you know, the offline stuff if you can in terms of, well, how many impressions did we buy in Boise with TV or radio and how does that factor? What weeks were we on? Um, how did what kind of spikes did we see those weeks? So there is a lot of that that you know that has to be done in order to make that data valuable, and that's that's a whole other you know kind of side business that agencies have started. Let me ask you a question, uh, Keith. I know you've got a couple, but let me just jump in because you you triggered something there, Melissa. Is it in your experience would you get a digital lift from a traditional media campaign? Absolutely. And that's why, you know, you think, oh, TV's dead or whatever. Then why are all these people, you know, that are, you know, tech companies like Apple and Facebook and all those folks, why do they spend so much money on TV or all the advertisers that we saw in the Olympics? They wouldn't be doing that if they didn't see some sort of lift. There's just, there's no, I mean, you know, I always say the power's in the people, right? I mean, if the people decide that they want to, you know, not watch traditional TV anymore, they don't want to do this, you know, they get to decide and then we sort of have to follow them around, right? So, but if there wasn't any kind of lift that, you know, the TV stations are wouldn't be doing as well as they are. I mean, I know that there's different things they've been hurting in different categories and news and some other things that are, you know, trying to figure that out. But there wouldn't be, you know, billions of dollars still spent on traditional media if, if they weren't seeing it. Now, whether or not they can see it, um, you know, as granularly as, oh, I saw an ad on the Seattle Times, I clicked on it, I bought a pair of $200 shoes. Um, you know, there's that that whole last click thing, too. So there's, you know, different radio companies have been um, trying to come up with some research where you can have some kind of attribution for radio, right? But, you know, mm-hmm. they just are measuring things like did the, when we ran a spot at 12 o'clock, what happened to your website at that point? Well, there could have been, a, you know, depending on what your website is, there could have been so many things that happened at 12 o'clock, you know? Tickets could have gone on sale that day. Something else could have been happening. You could have been running a TV spot at that point. So, um, you know, that attribution from traditional media is always going to be tough, but but we know it's there. We know we know the lift is there. Keith, you had so a great we're... question about how local salespeople can interact. 
Well, yeah, I guess I guess one of the one of the key questions that we're you know that I'm always asking is is and 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 in all my years of training and development of salespeople was, look, you've got to figure out a way to to be of value. You know, if you're not of value, then you're not going to get the business. That's got to be really hard these days. How yeah. how, do, how do salespeople from television or radio stations? You know, what can they be doing to provide value to mm-hmm. someone like you? Well, you know, I've always been a firm believer, you know, that as much information as you can share with the salespeople, the more valuable they can be. Now, you know, there's still are a lot of agencies really close to the vest. They don't want to share any information. But I've always been a firm believer of, you know, sharing as much as you can about the campaign, not only the, um, you know, the goals and things like that, but even the creative. Because, you know, when we were working on the Snoqualmie Casino campaign, their tagline was above it all. And we were thinking of things that could be done that would tie into above it all. They also was Seattle's closest casino. So that was another one where we would, you know, have the traffic reporter say, you know, and right now the trap that it's only, you know, 20 minutes out to Snoqualmie Casino from downtown, that sort of thing, that they knew that that was a, that that close message was important. So the traffic people came back with a campaign that allowed their reporters to look and see what the real time travel times were. Or for above it all, I remember we, um, you know, a lot of times there's snipes at the bottom of the screen. We got them to do them at the top of the screen. So it would be above, you know, I mean, there was just, mm-hmm. you know, little things like that, that once this, that, because, you know, Generally, I think that a lot of TV and uh, radio reps are sort of, um, they're creatives that maybe kind of, I don't know, they, they're, they're missing something. So when they get that opportunity to be really creative, they really turn it on and they come up with crazy ideas. And a lot of times there'll be 10 crazy ideas and one good one. But that yeah, one yeah. good one was great. And they had fun presenting them to us, right? I mean, they had fun yeah, yeah. coming up with some different things. And, you know, we're always like so appreciative and you know what it didn't work for this client but we're going to keep it in mind for the next one or we know that you're a go-to person that can come up with ideas so next time we're even working on new business we're going to try and share that with you see and then you know I was lucky enough that to build these relationships so people would come to me first and say hey you know what I know you've got this casino account and we've got this really exciting new program or avail or something like that that you know we want to give you the first shot at so that you know that paid off for us as well but I get that people are just so busy now and their heads down and you know the mm-hmm. pandemic with people working from home I mean I've hardly seen any salespeople in the last year and a half so you know that's that's made it pretty tough too but yeah. trying to you know provide some value but it's tough when you can't get anybody to answer the phone or to yeah. you know return your call or anything like that so often you know um we would do RFPs. I'm actually working on an RFP right now for the uh, 2021 International Auto Show uh, at uh, Lumenfield Event Center. And, you know, we've got a, um, you know, one of the things in here, ex- and, you know, for the reps, one of the campaign objectives is to extend the budget and add excitement with radio station personalities and promotions on site. Well, that gives somebody something to go on, right? I mean, it, a, it's, a little, you know, yeah. thinking about the auto show and maybe you can take a test drive or maybe you can, I don't know what that looks like, but we try and provide some information like that in the avails so that they yeah. can come back to us and say, okay, they, they want, you know, they want some sort of brand ambassador. They want, you know, to use the station resources. They, and you know, who knows if anybody's even going to do a remote this time around, but some, somehow <laughs> remote, 
remote lights. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no, it reminds yeah. me of having to do uh, remotes for George Tolls and the boat show down at the Kingdom. You know, we had to be in one of those Bayliner yachts from Olympic boat centers. Yeah. But yes. Um, but Hopefully I'll but come the trend seems, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> the, the trend seems to be, though, to go programmatic. Everybody's like rushing to do programmatic. And that takes this whole conversation and, you know, it, it, those won't happen anymore. Right. And one of the things that um, that I always think about is, you know, salespeople are good for, you know, the creative side of it, but they're also good at being just a partner, right? So when you make a programmatic buy, we had something happen, and I don't really even know what happened, but some vendor ran uh, 200 million impressions between midnight and 5 a.m. on accident, and they were video impressions. And so the, the it was... It was just crazy in terms of how something ran wrong. Not only did they have to write that off, but then they had to write off the ad serving because we get charged, you know, 50 cents a thousand to serve the ads. So they had to write us a check to serve the ads because somebody had made a mistake. So one of the things I love working with salespeople on, it's almost like you're like when I call and I say I have a $10,000 budget and I send through an order for a hundred thousand, you're like, uh, I'd love this, but didn't you say 10000 You got an extra zero on here. Or, you know, or didn't you say you wanted to skip that week and now you've scheduled that week? And, you know, that sort of thing. We had a real good partnership. Or I didn't get the spot, so I'm assuming that you didn't want to be on next week. But, you know, with programmatic, I mean, you've got nobody checking your work. Nobody. Even if you have a problem, you don't even have anyone to talk to. Like, why isn't, you know, we had a situation a couple weeks ago. There was one thing on a client site that didn't, it was about some sort of experimental um, treatment for some cancer or something. And Google didn't like that. But we didn't know that they weren't serving any of our search ads or any of our programmatic ads because we had one thing on one web page that they didn't like. It took us three weeks to get to the bottom of that why we'd been kicked off Google. And like I said, even getting to the right person to help us figure that out, it was easy enough just to take down that page once we knew that that's what was causing the problems. But how do you even know what the problem is? I mean, it took a lot of time and energy to to figure that sort of stuff out. So I just, I don't like the, you know, I mean, some of them are better than others. You know, Hulu always used to come up, but, you know, now they're, you know, part of a bigger deal and Disney and all that. So I don't know if they will. Pandora's always had a really good presence in this market, but you can't get Pandora to do a promotion. I mean, that's just not what they what they do, you know, so unless you're T-Mobile, I guess they do. But um, so how how you can, you know, do anything besides, you know, just get a get a schedule. You can't even I mean, it's real time bidding. So your reps couldn't even help you get a rate if they wanted to. Um, it's just it's not very fun. That's why I wonder, you know, it seems like, the, again, the technology's there. If we wanted to do even local radio, I mean, we get XML files as it is, so we don't even have to enter avails anymore. So, I mean, that part of it's pretty easy. But if we wanted to use White Orbit and use our do our TV buys that way, we could. Um, maybe yeah. it's because older people are making the TV buys and they're still happy with you know the old the old fashioned way. But I think that there's still some reason to to keep it to keep it local and keep those relationships. But who knows for how long that'll make sense. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, one real final question to ask you, and uh, I'm I'm really excited for you to do this. You are now moving into radio station ownership with the acquisition of some radio stations in Chelan, Washington. You want to tell us that story? Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty interesting. Well, um, the stations um, are owned by Harriet 
Bullock, and she owns Icicle Broadcasting. And Harriet, I think, is 94, and she's divesting herself. She's put um, a lot of her assets into a trust up at the Sleeping Lady and things like that and wanted to divest herself of these stations. And they actually put it on Facebook that they were selling the stations. And um, one of my partners, Karen Herrick, her husband, Todd, saw it. And um, I love to vacation in Chelan. I think it's just a magical place. My husband's been going there since he was like 10, and he loves it as well. And so um, Karen just called me and said, you know, what do you think? I'm going to call and get the prospectus. And I said, I always, every time I'm in Chelan, as soon as I can get within range, I listen. I love their second cup of coffee program. It always just cracks me up. But I also, you know, they've got really good information about where the music is this weekend and where the fires are and what the mm. snow report is. And I mean, it's really, um, they really are a, a, a true community radio station. So um, we just kind of started going down the path. And that was back in February. And we, mm. um, you know, had a couple different partners, potential partners that we talked talk to. Uh, we were approached by some folks. We went, you know, and searching. And so there's actually four partners. We're each 25% owners. And um, our, our um, uh, purchase agreement was accepted. Now we've just got to go through the FCC yeah. filing. And that takes a while. I guess they're, they've been kind of backed up because of COVID and there's just some other things. So we're hoping that that goes through pretty quickly. But in the meantime, we're doing our due diligence and uh, learning a ton about transmitters and translators, which didn't really ever, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. something I never thought about. Yeah. But very, very important. So uh, there's Cozy AM and FM, and then there's a country station called KZAL. That's over there that actually has a a good um, signal. You know, Wenatchee's got a lot of radio stations, so it's kind of a challenging market. But I think that Cozy in particular has, you know, carved out a niche. And we're going to see what we can do with the other stations as well. That AM does things like, you know, high school sports. Um, Mm -hmm. We really want to try and get, you know, maybe, you know, the way they do up here at Nathan Hill High School, getting some high school kids involved with the stations, you know. And also, I think that'll help us be, you know, they'll be our little focus groups about what they're interested in and, you know, what we can do. Because streaming, obviously, um, is going to be an important part. Our social media presence, our website, there's just, there's a lot to do, um, you know. And I think they just... Um, whether or not, you know, if Cozy knew that they were going to be sold, so they kind of backed off on some things or whatever. But there's, you know, maybe there's some uh, deferred maintenance. That <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. And yeah. it's really exciting. And, and if you need a couple of insultants, yes. you know, we're, we're available. <laughs> yeah, well, Jackson mentioned that. And uh, that's awesome. Karen Herrick's going to be the uh, only paid employee. She's going to be the general manager and the sales manager, and she lives over in Chelan, and our two other partners right. live over there as well. So um, I think, you know, we've got a really good you know, jumping off point, and I, you know, I can't wait to dig in because I've got a ton of ideas, but, you know, to have some focus groups and see if, you know, what I think has any merit or not, or, you know, some of these ideas that we have could fall flat on their faces, but I think we've got Lots of good ideas. Everybody that I told that I bought a radio station has lots of good ideas for me. So, um, <laughs> Which is part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, um, my mom worked at radio stations from as far back as I can remember. I mean, she worked at um, a station that was in Bellevue Square called KFKF that Kemper Freeman's father Kemper owned. Freeman. And Kemper right. was like the young buck of a sales manager. And she worked mm-hmm. at a classical station called KXA that was on the bottom of Queen Anne and then was at KJR mm-hmm. for 15 years. And so, you know, radio's definitely in my blood. I mean, that's where I would, you know, 
go on, you know, to have my part-time jobs or take my Girl Scout troops on a tour or whatever. I mean, radio is just, honestly, it's just something that I've always loved. I'm just a, a big fan and, and, you know, it's kind of kind of hurts me to see, you know, what's happened when you think about some of the shares that, you know, KJR used to have and things like that. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, how... Um, how the mighty have you know fallen, but I just yeah. still think that there's a there's a niche, and I think the community radio station is is one of those um, you know places where we can find our niche. So I, I certainly hope so. That is fabulous. That's a great story. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm sure we'll have all kinds of uh, of advice to give you, and uh, you know I think that uh, the the exciting thing about radio, when you know when you do this 30 or 40 years ago, you put the station on and program some music and, you know, do a little promotion. You were done today. You look at all of the aspects of the business. Yeah. And the truth is there's, there's no bigger staff to do it. Somebody has got to cover social media. Somebody has got to make sure the streaming is good. Somebody else has got to cover, you know, on air and, and all of the commercial production. So it's, it's exciting. And I can, I tell you, small market radio is still real fun Yeah. because you do exactly what you said. You connect and I think you know, one of the, the the mistakes that like iHeart made when they first took over all those small markets was, you know, they put them all America's top 40 or whatever it was. And yeah. this is like I'd be driving through Montana. I'm like, that's not what I want. I want to hear what's happening in this little town I'm just right. driving through. You know, I've changed the channel and I search and I just kept getting the same thing. It's like, no, that's not what I want. You know, and so I think that, you know, it's kind of come full circle back around to, you know, what the people, you know what the people want and how you can provide a service. Cause I think there really is uh, over in Chelan. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a community. Uh, you know, there's a lot of new people living over there that, you know, maybe haven't discovered the station. So I think there's some opportunities that way. And then again, you know, getting some younger people involved, whether or not that's through the high school sports or, you know, some of the other, you know, they haven't had an intern. Can we find an intern? You know, I mean, uh, that's been, you know, Many a great uh, radio people came up as interns. So, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, best of luck to you. I well, thank you, you so guys. much for having joined us today. Sure. Yeah. This has been terrific, Melissa. Yeah. Great to see you again, and uh, congratulations on a fabulous career and uh, and 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 and, and in, a, in a wonderful city. And, and you know, congratulations. Great you know, to see I, you again. Thanks for uh, feel, thanks for contributing today. Yeah, I feel really you know blessed that I've just had a career that I've loved so much for so long, and I think you guys probably feel the same way. So. We lucked out when we got in this crazy business. So, right. We did. And we all lucked out when we had the chance to work with you. So we've all been lucky. Thank you. I feel the same. So thank you so much. You bet. Have a good week, Melissa. Thank you. Bye-bye.